O Holy Spirit of God, take our minds and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for thee, through Christ our Lord. Amen. What a joy it is to be the oldest preacher you've ever had in this pulpit. <laughs> I've been introduced several ways, but never going like that. <laughs> Oh, I could talk for a long time, but not even give you this sermon I've prepared about this place in my life. And not only have we been coming, thanks to your wonderful rectors, many, many years for Lent, but it was the rector of this parish had recently turned into a bishop, Theodore Not Barth giant of a man of God who welcomed me as a Vanderbilt graduate student to the process of becoming a postulate, a candidate, and ultimately a priest of this church. So I go way back with Calvary before most of you were born. I won't say that again, but what a, what a joy to be here and to participate with you in this holy, holy season of Lent. When I was a kid, it was shortly after World War II. And in those days, soldiers and sailors and Marines would often stand on a highway in their uniform and hitchhike for a ride. And we were encouraged to pick up the military who were in service and seeking a ride. My mother and dad, from time to time, I remember we would get a sailor or a soldier and get him in the car and we would carry him to the next, wherever it was, town or so. I joined in that idea, as did some of my friends, and I had a buddy who was in another college some distance away and I liked to go visit him. And I got on the highway one time and I was thumbing back down to see him and I couldn't get a ride. Couldn't get a ride. Couldn't get a ride. Hours I stood there on Highway 1725, right outside of Brunswick, Georgia. And it got dark. Pretty soon it got 11 o'clock at night. I couldn't get a ride. I was standing right across the street from a Texaco filling station, open all night. And finally, I was going to get a drink. And so I walked across the road 
into the Texaco station, and there was the night manager. He'd been watching me. He knew I'd been standing there. And he said, you're not going to get a ride there tonight, buddy. And I said, well, it doesn't look like it. And he said, you want a place to sleep? And I said, oh, oh my goodness, yes. He says, if you don't mind, I'll let you sleep back there where we store the tires. There's a little old cot back there. It's covered with oil cloths and things like that. But you could probably stretch out on that old cot if you wanted to. I'm going to be open all night. I picked up my little bag, thanked him, walked back into the storeroom where they had all the tires. The smell of oil and tires was filling that little room. But there was the cot. I moved the oily claws off of the cot, stretched out, and fell sound asleep with my little suitcase tucked right under the cot. Pretty soon I was listening to a voice of the same night manager of the Texaco station. She said, it's about five o'clock, buddy. He said, I got your ride. I woke up and got my little bag walked out, and he said, I've talked to the bread truck here. He comes by every morning. He's my buddy. I talked him into picking you up, giving you a lift to the next town. He said, you remind, would you mind riding in a bread truck? I'd have ridden in a garbage truck. If that. I said, oh, no. Though. So I stood up. There was no place to sit. I stood in he slammed that big door, and off we went. And he gave me the lift I needed. I didn't know it, but about two years later, I was in seminary. Studying Holy Scripture. And in my first year, I took a course in what they called Hebrew Scripture, which, of course, is the Old Testament for us. And the professor of Hebrew Scripture, early on in the class, wrote up about ten themes that he said are most important themes of the Old Testament of Hebrew Scripture. And he said, pick one of those themes on the board that were up there. He said, pick one of those themes and I want you to write a paper about it. Whether that theme from the Old Testament has ever affected your life. I want you to understand these broad, big, important themes of the Hebrew Scripture. Well, one of them grabbed my attention. It said, welcome the stranger. 
And I immediately thought of that Texaco station in Brunswick, Georgia. And that man who saw me clearly as a stranger and welcomed me in to his station and allowed me to spend the night sleeping on his cot. So I wrote my paper. But I discovered some things in that paper. I discovered some things about scripture I didn't know. For example, do you know that the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture, starts, starts with Adam and Eve becoming homeless? That's what it's all about. They were happy as could be in the Garden of Eden. And then lo and behold, they were pushed out of the Garden of Eden and became homeless east of Eden. I thought, isn't that interesting? They didn't have any place as I didn't on Highway 1725 on that dark night in Brunswick. Also, I began to discover that not only was that theme in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scripture, it was in the New Testament too. It begins that way. Did you ever think of this? The New Testament begins with homelessness. You remember? Mary and Joseph had their baby Jesus, and immediately Herod hears about it. And Herod the Great says, I hear there's a baby been born who's going to replace me, going to be king. So he decided to kill all the babies born in that area. And in order to survive, Mary and Joseph became refugees. They left their home to survive, to save the baby from being executed by Herod the Great, and they had to go someplace that would accept them. It was, it, it, it was Egypt. And they became refugees and were accepted as homeless people into Egypt until finally they could go back in safety with their newborn baby Jesus. You see, the scriptures that you and I, they're a guidebook for our lives. They're the very essence of how we are to live. They begins with homelessness and the acceptance of those who, who are strangers. And that New Testament does the same thing. When I was a young priest, I joined with many other clergy, Presbyterians, Methodists, we all agreed. It was in the early 60s we decided that we really must do something about these mammoth mental health hospitals. 
They really ought to be closed. The Bolivars of the world, and they were in every state in the Union, they ought to be closed. And all through the 60s, gradually, every state began closing its massive mental health hospitals in favor of a new idea, which was to develop mental health centers, small units in neighborhoods where healthy people lived so that the mentally healthy, the mentally ill would be helped by being close to, which studies had showed them helped being closer to mentally healthy people. So these mental health centers, small in size, would be scattered throughout the neighborhoods. The trouble was, there's no money for the small mental health hospitals to take these people when we close the big ones. Not only that, but people said, not in my backyard, not near my house are you going to build one of those mental health hospitals or mental health centers. So they never got built anywhere. And so suddenly we had on our streets in Memphis and every other major city in America, we had people who had been in the hospitals and there was no place to go. They were homeless. They didn't have any hospital to leave. So they wound up as what we came to, became to call homeless street people. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, the biblical admonition became to affect people like Calvary Church. This church itself, it began to respond to the need of the homeless and the street people. And it really developed ministries. Oh, some of them were, wouldn't, wouldn't work very well. Some of them worked extremely. But that was the purpose of the church. Not only did this church, churches all over the country, suburban churches too, began to take people in. How can we reach out and fulfill our biblical calling and respond to those who need a lift. Not only did we do it here at Calvary, magnificently we became a beacon for many churches around the country to do it how we had done it here. We had a place in, in Atlanta where I was a back rector in downtown Atlanta. We had our dining room, lovely big dining room, but we turned it over to soup kitchen for the street people five days a week. A thousand people ate lunch every single day in Atlanta in St. Luke's downtown. People in need of, of a lift. But not only that, your rector, when he left here, he went to a seminary and became one of the leading authorities in the nation on how churches should respond to the refugee problem of homelessness with the mentally ill throughout our country. Today, we have what we think is a major problem on our border in Mexico. Refugees, homeless people. People are looking for Egypt. Oh, that's just a very minor and probably 
political problem that is insignificant in the world of refugees on every continent on earth. Millions and millions of people as we sit here right now are homeless, are desperate, are in need of some sort of safe, secure sanctuary. Oh, it is a gigantic problem for the world. Oh, we don't have the answers yet. We don't even have clearly the, the complexity of the problem. But those of us that live by the biblical commands know that we have one duty, and that's to respond to those who are in need and are in need of a lift. Yeah, the Mexico problem. Oh, yes, it's a problem, but it pales in comparison with a gigantic problem worldwide that those of us who call ourselves Christians need to begin to sensitize ourselves. They have to get aware the problem for sanctuary is so gigantic that the earth is in need of response to this crisis. I am currently serving the Cathedral Church of St. John the Divine in New York City, where I'm a trustee, chair of development, and have an office and a secretary. The Cathedral Church of St. John the Divine has just opened an exhibit. It covers the whole cathedral on walls all up and down this gigantic, largest cathedral in the world. All of these pictures and photographs and paintings depict one idea, sanctuary. How sanctuary is lived out in various places all over the world. That's the purpose of the exhibit for the next four months. Calling attention so that you and I might become gradually sensitized to the needs of the world, the crisis of the world and God's people. And how might we, through imagination, creativity, philanthropy, generosity, even begin to attack this problem of the need for sanctuary. No, it's, it's not just the Mexican border. Oh, it is that. But it's a hundred times that worldwide. And during this Lenten season, nothing could be quite as important as sensitizing ourselves to not just the need, 
but to the biblical command, starting with Genesis and ending with the revelation of St. John the Divine. How might I offer a lift? How might I, in my own little journey, give somebody a lift. We've all been given lifts all the time. We're given lifts every day. Every moment of every day practically has somebody helping us do something, like the Boy Scout helping the woman across the street. Some the little thing happens to you. We get, we're given a lift all the time. If you stop and think about the number of times you are given a lift. I got out of high school, as did you. And I was, I was in need of a sanctuary called college. And I wrote off to various places. And finally, somebody sent me a letter back and said, we'll accept you, sight unseen, and welcome you into our community as a stranger. And we'll give you safe safe, secure living for four years so you could develop into what God has created you to be. Not even with graduate school, I wanted to go to get an MBA and I wrote various schools and finally one of them wrote back to me a stranger, total stranger to them. And they welcomed me into their community in the same way. Then I went to Bishop Barth and said, would you would you accept a stranger into the priesthood in the Episcopal Church? And he never laid eyes on me and wrote me a letter and welcomed me, a stranger. You see, we're given lifts over and over again. And then to push the envelope a little farther, I began to say to myself, I'd like to get married. I wonder if there's anyone who would be willing to welcome me into her life, a stranger, and maybe even be father to her children. Oh no, we're giving lifts all the time, over and over again, and now we're being called to give lifts to real, real strangers, maybe on a different continent, maybe totally unrelated in any way, shape, form, who have been pushed out by race or creed or color of skin or sexuality or a despot who doesn't like them for any number of reasons they're being pushed out of their Eden and they're searching in west east of Eden for some sort of sanctuary and we're we're called biblically called To give them a lift. Amen.